Hi guys, welcome to Useful Idiots. Um, calling Useful Idiots. We're about to start. Just give us a minute to get everyone in, and we will be taking your questions at Useful Idiots. Call in. Okay, and we are live, and we are here, so we are taking your questions. Let us know what's on your mind, everyone. We're going to start with John. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, great to see you guys, as always. Uh, yeah, I just really wanted to um, comment on the uh, the whole abortion thing, Um and, and and people are dancing around this and saying different things. But uh, what I think is this is uh, really making America great again. You know, they, you know, pretty soon they'll have women back in the kitchen, barefoot and pregnant, you know. And uh, I, I don't know why this isn't being mentioned. Like they, they talk about it uh, to a very slight degree that, Oh, what's next or whatever. But I mean, this is kind of part and parcel of making America great again, because if we can have women barefoot and pregnant, um, you know, then America can truly be great again. And besides, what about, you know, all those babies? We need all those those babies. What was one of those uh, uh, Republican women this week saying about um you know, we, we need babies, more babies for adoption or oh, something. Yeah. Um, it yeah. was really obscene. <laughs> yeah. I believe. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mean, that. I mean, me quoting Barrett is very excited about that too. Yeah. It's just unreal. Um, and uh, then just the uh, extraordinary level of hypocrisy and the, the general, uh, Oh, hello. John, where'd you go? Um, uh, oh, he was talking, speaking to the power. So. Yeah. Okay, you're back. All right. But that was all I wanted to mention this week. Um, you know, uh, oh, also, um, uh, just to point out that uh, Gonzalo Lira has a uh, new channel and um, his, he's pretty insightful. So um, that was it. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it is very scary, this rollback on women's rights. Um, okay, uh, taking, next, taking the next caller, Greg. Hey, Greg, unmute yourself, please, by hitting the, the mic button. Good morning. Morning. 
Uh, I just want to respond to what the last guy said. There's a lot of contradictions. Gonzalo Lira, you should look him up. Uh, Coach Red Pill on YouTube, kind of a creep, in my opinion, um, despite his maybe insights on Ukraine. He probably is somebody who would want women barefoot and pregnant walking around. So I'm just going to point that out. But also, I know um, uh, he advocates that you should go to poor countries and marry uh, young women because oh, you'll okay. be an American with lots of money and you'll be on top of the class structure in those countries. That's what he wow. advocates for. <clears throat> Anyways, um, I wanted to bring this definition to your guys' attention. I told Aaron about this weird video that the special forces psyops put out yesterday and i think you know the whole abortion thing is part of a larger you know fifth generation kind of warfare which is a nebulous term in and of itself kind of play so uh, can i read this def definition it's a little bit lengthy it's just a paragraph but is that all right with you sure so, fifth-generation warfare is defined as a global war of ideas and narratives. This style of war is primarily fought in the information space. However, these actions undertaken in the information space are not intended to be the final goal, but rather a way to affect the physical kinetic battle sp and kinetic battle spaces. Cyber warfare is a critical part of fifth-generation warfare, but these tactics do not supersede Wait, can I ask the overall Wait, hold on function. A Where is this definition from? It's from a YouTube channel, <laughs> but I've been, I've been, I've been looking at fifth gen warfare since at least, or looking into it at least since, uh, the color revolutions that were going on around the world and, you know, uh, Libya who, and who the Middle East. It's, I, I, this guy just, this guy just summarized it. Okay. Uh, All right. I don't, I don't remember the channel to be honest, but, um, Cyber warfare is a critical part of fifth generation warfare, but these tactics do not supersede the overall function of fifth generation warfare. Rather, actions in the cyber battle space are a tool to both supplement traditional forms of military warfare while simultaneously serving as a tool that certain actors can utilize to further their war of ideas. These am the ambiguous nature of this cyber realm most clearly illustrates the uncertainty present throughout this, this style of warfare. And the struggle that is present throughout societies as citizens try to make sense of their world around them. This ambiguity is key. The perfect crime is the one that no one ever knows has been committed. And as such, a perfect five gener fifth generation warfare is one that the target never even knew occurred. So I think that guy, I mean, I'm not trying to demean him or any way, but I think the whole abortion thing is part of that fifth generation warfare, in my opinion. So, okay. All right. Well, Greg, Wait, thank you. Can I ask just one thing, like, what do you mean? Cause I think, yeah. What does that mean? It's part of a larger narrative for a certain side, because if you buy into that narrative, you're generally, or that you need to fight for abortion. It's that you need to vote for Democrats and that feeds into that. Oh, we need Democrats. That's for this further supports the war that's going on in Ukraine. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm but sure you can put holes like, in my argument, but. That doesn't mean okay. I think this is. I'm. I'm asked you to elaborate on that because I think this is the mm -hmm. important thing to respond to. Mm -hmm. Like, abortion is important. The fact that it's being weaponized needs to be noted, but that doesn't mean we don't care about it. That's like no, saying, I, mm -hmm. like racism. I, I agree with racism you. Is, yeah. 
So I, so, so I, I guess you, you're, you're right. You, it needs to be noted that it's being used as a weapon to make us vote for Democrats. And right. I've been trying to point that out to people on social media when I talk to them. So that's that's my point. I right. totally agree with you because I'm all for body uh, autonomy. And so, right. so we have to be doing I, both course. things at the same time, which is pushing back, um, it's like fight pushing back against the assault on abortion rights. And also saying, you know, we can do that while we point out that the Dems aren't doing enough. Certainly. And I mean, but I, I don't think, but I the... think we fall into mm-hmm. a trap that's uh, we fall into this divide and conquer trap. If it's like, well, it's not war in Ukraine. So who cares? No, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying that um, I, I think it's part of a larger narrative and like yeah they're all connected to each other and it's important to understand the 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 strands and like you know i have friends who are far right and i talk to them about abortion i'm like if republicans really cared about abortion they would be um promoting more social welfare in our country so that you know women who had babies who, who who didn't want them could actually raise them or have like a chance of you know actually having like a a good amount of wealth so that their kids could have a good life or a right. better life or a better right. chance at life. So, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Right. <laughs> Anyways, I'll shut up. All right. Thank you. All right. Next, we got um, Andrew. Hey, Katie and Aaron. Hey. Hey, good morning, I think, still. Well, yeah, you're. it's 11 where you are, huh? Yep. I don't or, reveal my location. Oh, yeah. All right, fair enough. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, You're back yeah. in Syria again. <laughs> I wish. I wish I was back in Syria. No, I'm. I'm in New York. Yeah. All right, hon. Yeah. Um, the the two um two things I I thought I would throw in, you guys can address either of them, is um along the 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 train of um women's reproductive rights or the debate over abortion generally. Um, and kind of tying that into immigration, it seems like the Democrats are once again marketing that they're going to, uh, improve the situation on both of these. That was a central part of their campaign. And when people were saying, well, why would we, you know, support, uh, the Democrats again, seems like a bad idea. The people who would defend the idea that we should would say, well, it's about basically climate, um, civil, social rights and immigration, um, and they've, you know, they've consistently just continued Republican policies on those. And I, I also feel like the abortion immigration kind of issues really tie in together because, um, you know, having having a sort of stable white domestic population um, with a destabilized Latin America and a drive for um you know, kind of migrant labor with, with the lowest possible price. I mean, I think that kind of really draconian um, immigration and border policies kind of go hand in hand or maybe even need um, this really, really degenerate backwards um, kind of forced birth movement in the U.S. to to sustain each other. Uh, and then the other thing that I was going to bring up since this is the kind of Monday morning news thing was that piece. I think it was in NBC or CNBC that said that it was kind of openly bragging that U S intelligence had helped um, the Ukrainians target the Moskva ship with missiles. And it seems like 
um, it seems to me, I guess I'm just reading that as like a faction of the, the national security establishment that really wants to push this as far as it can go is, is almost kind of like, um, not necessarily contradicting because it seems like Biden has also made some comments like maybe there'll be U S troops. Maybe you might be going to Ukraine soon from Poland. Um, but it seems like really terrible brinksmanship. So anyways, I'll, I'll stop there and, and love to hear what you guys think about those. Aaron, you want to respond to that first? Sure. Uh, yeah, I totally agree that it's just um, hawks inside the establishment trying to, you know, ramp up this war. I don't think actually, see, I don't believe really this claim that that has been leaked to the New York Times that U.S. intelligence helped kill 12 Russian generals. I just don't believe that. Part, part of, part, partly because, I mean, if it were true, I just don't think it, it would be bragged about like that. And second of all, like the evidence that they, the, the only evidence that they produce for it is that, is they claim, it's not even evidence, but it's just a claim. They claim that like the U.S. caught some Russian generals speaking on unsecure, on insecure phone lines, and that allowed them to identify where they were and kill them. I just don't believe that. I just, you know, like I just strongly doubt that a Russian general would ever really be in that situation. So I don't buy that. I, so I agree with you. I think it's just basically people inside the establishment trying to, you know, provoke Russia, make it look as if the U.S. is um, is helping Ukraine win, you know. So I think it's part of, like, basically a information warfare operation. On the ship that was sunk, yeah, maybe maybe the U.S. helped out there. I have no idea. I, don't, I mean, we, we don't even know what actually happened on that ship. We know there was an explosion. But even whether it was hit by missiles, I'm not even sure if that's, if that's confirmed yet. It, it could be. And I believe it if the, you know, if the U.S. was involved, I mean, it's quite possible. But again, in the absence of evidence, it's, I think it's at least fair to question, as you're doing, the motives for these stories. Wait, hold on. Sorry. Just before we move on, I, I just realized uh, I have to ask you a obligatory Canadian question, which is, what are your thoughts on uh, the claims that Trevor could do that Canadian general uh, may have been arrested by the Russians in Mariupol and the Azovstal? area and and also i mean does it seem like you know he seemed like he was a very prominent um military official in canada and then kind of went off the map and and then potentially is now in ukraine so anyway okay i'll, I'll now i'm actually gonna shut up yeah no i i don't know i mean look we've the problem is uh this is a war so people are going to put out false claims a lot to make it look as if they're making progress and we've seen that before like you know i've seen tweets go viral where it's claiming that you know, Russia captured some American general inside Mariupol fighting with the Azov battalion, but really he was never even in Ukraine. So, you know, I have no information to support the claim about the Canadian, but who knows? Maybe it's true. We'll see. Kind of like an inverse of the NBC bragging about killing Russian generals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, both sides do it. So it's just... um it's so easy to start a rumor, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world, but you just have to, I think, treat it very skeptically until you see some actual proof of anything. I, at least when it comes to this one, I haven't seen that yet. Right on. Well, thanks both of you. Or, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Tammy. 
Hi, Katie and Aaron. Uh, it's very early in the morning here in Melbourne, Australia, so I'll keep it brief because I need to get up very early. Um, I'm probably your biggest Aussie fan staying up this late so I can call you guys. Um, I really, really appreciate the show. I, I, I wasn't sure whether to focus on the abortion issue or a Ukraine-Russia question, but I'll try and maybe do both really briefly. Um, the abortion thing is blowing my mind. Um, I, I'm just, I just can't, I'm so gobsmacked that it's just still a live conversation. But then it also makes me afraid because we are um, so quote unquote inspired by everything that the US and the UK do and we so frequently follow, even if it's a regression. So that terrifies me when I see these conversations happening in the US. Um, yeah. That's more a comment than a question. But um, well, let me ask. I had, oh yeah, there, go ahead. Sorry, Aaron. Is there an evangelical movement in New Zealand? In, in New Zealand, like there is in the US. I mean, is it is it in a position to be able to push through measures like we're seeing now in the US? Sorry, are you from uh, New Zealand or Australia? Did you say? I'm in Australia. Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> okay, Sorry. Um, wow, Aaron. Wow. All Aussies <laughs> and Kiwis are the same, I guess, to you. Yeah. I'm revealing my bias. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's quite okay. Um, yeah. So um, Australia has, um, even, yes, it, Australia has evangelicals. Um, our prime minister is one of them. Um, he dances around issues like this quite often um, in various ways, but he knows that um I think at the moment still there's not enough support for pulling back on things like this, but but he's always testing the waters um, in various ways. Um, yeah, so so it does exist here. It's not as big as in the US, but and it's not as powerful. But there are moments where it's like, oh, it's making its way into politics. That's kind of frightening. Um, yeah, we don't have as much of a history of that here. Um, so far, but never say never. Um, when it comes to um, the Ukraine and Russia thing, I, I've i been trying to be a little bit more open-minded and listening to a bit of um, mainstream media again um, to just like get a sense of what the conversation is like because I've found myself being, I found myself sheltering myself in the sort of um, little media like, you know, yourselves and Grey Zone and, and, sources that I've come to trust um, and just like kind of felt a bit allergic to listening to state and corporate media just because of how I have, I feel like I have a better sense of what the tone conveys, but I also don't, I don't feel qualified to have like a hard and fast opinion because I'm not informed enough. So I try to listen to everybody, but I'm just really, really struck by how it feels like they're having conversation about a completely different war um just how different the interpretation is of events is just so mind-blowing to me sometimes um and I guess they're also interviewing um like international relations academics uh and other experts or other people who are called experts um you know and they they support those views so I suppose my question to maybe you Aaron but either of you is how do you decide who which experts are the ones that you listen to like I really I'm genuinely um you know just a bit at a loss sometimes with how to manage yeah like I'm not an expert I don't know how to 
how to like I don't know what to believe you know when we have an international relations guy who's saying the exact opposite of like um, someone like John Mearsheimer, for example. So yeah, I'd be open to hearing what you think about that. It's a great question. I mean, an easy way to start is to look if someone's working for some think tank. If they're working for a think tank, then the odds are that they're just propagandists because that's what think that that's what most think tanks are. Is they're funded by arms manufacturers, you know, uh, corporations like Lockheed Martin, which we talked about today, or governments. There's, there's a big one in Australia called uh, ASPI, I think it's an, its acronym is. Anyway, it's funded by like the State Department, weapons manufacturers, and they're there to basically just help justify um, Australian foreign policy, especially when it comes to taking orders from the U.S. <laughs> so, I mean, that's an easy way to start. But let, look, part of it is just intuitive. You, have, you get a sense of whether you think someone has morals and integrity or not, and uh, you trust your own instincts. Um, A good measure is whether or not they're open for debate. So, you know, people like Stephen F. Cohen, who passed away two years ago, was a huge mentor of mine. And, you know, very top of his field, he was a professor at Princeton and NYU. But as soon as he started really dissenting on the party line when it comes to Ukraine, after the, the proxy war broke out in 2014, he was called a Putin puppet. He was attacked constantly. People tried to basically have him canceled. So when you have people who are being subjected to censorship calls and their opponents don't want to actually debate their actual views, they just want to call them names. This is something I experience a lot, like where for all my detractors, I, very few people actually, I think, engage with, with what I'm actually saying instead of just call me, you know, claim that I'm paid by Russia or, 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 or whatever else. So just, I don't know. Use your best judgment as to who you find trustworthy and um, encourage debate because that's the best way to make an opinion is when opposing sides are, 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 are debated. But it's tough. It's tough. There's no, it's, uh, you know, it's tough. It's like, and it's, you raise a really good question. Like, why should I trust this one person just because they have a fancy title in front of their name? Like they're a senior mm-hmm. fellow somewhere or they're a scholar. And how do I even know that their scholarship yeah. It's legit. It's right. tough. Look at, like Aaron was saying, I think if they're substantive or not in their critiques, as mm. opposed to, you know, how, like the ratio of their smearing people mm-hmm. to offering critiques is another good sign. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I, I definitely recognize like the really extreme um, smearers. I don't know if the word, um, but I, I, I struggle when like it's our state media that's like very like upper middle class respectable with like academics also listen to them as well as contributing and um, like everything they say sounds legit. Like they're very, you know, they're they're making what sounds like good arguments. I, I just, I don't have any really clear way of like knowing, you know, Whose, whose good arguments are based in fact and whose are not. Anyway, it's, it's I, very tricky. The general thing is whether they're pro-war or anti-war. True, uh, yeah. Just because I think that, to be frank about it, I mean, my I, I, the people I listen to are people who prioritize um, resolving uh, conflicts through diplomacy, not through war. Yeah, I think I'm instinctively kind of on the same wavelength, which is why I yeah. got quite drawn to listening to you folks. So anyway, thank Thanks. you so much for the time. I appreciate it.
You know, honestly, it's so hard to tell. You should just listen to Aaron Mate, Katie Halper, Useful Idiots. That's really <laughs> all. Yeah. Noted. Thank okay. you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sammy. Okay. Anthony. Hey, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. Hey, hey. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, that's pretty crazy. I don't know this Roe versus Wade, but um, our my state has a, apparently a ban on no no exceptions uh, for anything on the books from 1931. And uh, what state are you? Uh, in? Michigan. Oh wow! And of course, our uh, governor. This is like her. She's stepping up to the spotlight. This is her moment. She was made for, you know, like I'm protecting, I'm suing our own state to get rid of this law and, you know, the whole thing. But it's just like they say abortion is health care, but health care is money to these people. So, I mean, I don't know how abortion works in terms of insurance coverage or if there's places to go get a, you know, free and reduced one. But what about your right for, to get a tracheotomy or skin graft or dialysis or anything else? Right. Well, that's rhetorically one of the, that like that's one of the reasons that the pro-choice movement became more reproductive rights based um, or shifted to a more reproductive rights, uh, reproductive justice one, which emphasizes those issues like health care. So it's not just about your right to an abortion, which it obviously is but also about health care and other economic justice issues. But, yeah, I think that, like, you know, standing behind just abortion rights, which you should do, but I think that a more holistic approach is necessary if you actually care about the things you claim to care about. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then uh, so in terms of the uh, Ukraine thing, I was just thinking um, – if anyone, there's, there's no debate about whether it was provoked or unprovoked in my mind, because there was a documented by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, 1,100 explosions in a three-day period in Donetsk, Donetsk before the invasion, like a week before. So 1,100 explosions, let's imagine that in Tijuana or in, you know, so over the border in Canada. You think we'd get involved? Yeah, I think we would. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, oh, for some reason, Aaron got demoted to... Hold on. Aaron, you're back. Um, yes, agreed. My bad. I was my bad. I was pouring coffee, and then I started spilling it, and it was making noise so that I put myself on mute, but then I uh-huh. accidentally left, so I'm sorry. But, you know, I wanted to say... Um, about the previous caller who was asking for how to find out if someone's credible. One thing I used to do was I would Google, like if I wanted to see if someone was legit, I would just Google Chomsky and then that person's name and see if Chom and see if Chomsky has cited them before and what he might say about them. Cause you know, there was a time when just Chomsky was so prolific and he was just, it felt like he had read everything. And so I would basically use him to see if someone was credible or not. Now I'm not saying that that would work for everybody, but that, that's what worked for me. So maybe if you if there's someone out there who you trust, you know, like say like uh, like like Katie Helper, like just Google yeah. Katie's name yeah. plus whoever you're trying to vet and see if they've been cited before. I don't know. That's one tip. Yeah, it's and yeah, Katie and you know, or Noam Chomsky. Uh, <laughs> um, and on the point about the uh, the OSCE and the and the, the explosions that were uh, reported 
in the Donbass right before Russia invaded. Uh, there's this British uh, writer named Paul Mason who claims to be on the left, but he's become like an outright cheerleader for the proxy war in Ukraine. And he just wrote an article, uh, you know, attacking uh, me and Max Monthal at the Gray Zone and, and other voices of that nature. And basically, he's calling for state action against us. He doesn't quite say what he wants the state to do, but it's pretty clear he wants state censorship of outlets like the Gray Zone. Like, for example, he calls my my podcast pushback. He calls it a, a cult YouTube show. Oh. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. Anyway, but he says about that that those explosions that were picked up by the OSCE and the Donbass and that point to an increased Ukrainian assault on the people of the Donbass right before Russia invaded. He suggests in that article that uh, that was faked by Russia, that basically that Russia just faked all that. And I think that's disinformation, but I would never call for him to be censored and certainly for the state to do anything to him because, you know, we should have free debate. I just thought that was a funny thing that, that he said and a funny theory. But anyway, all right. So thanks for the call and we'll go to MB. Hi. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Katie. Hi. I'm a... Uh... Hi. I was, uh, I'm actually also Australian and I was, couldn't help but be, uh, put up in the, uh, we should book a tour over there, Aaron, down under. You should, we have like people of, uh, political standpoint of, uh, the previous, uh, the one, the, the speaker before me, before the last one and me, people in our position of the political spectrum are seriously underrepresented in this country. So, uh. We have, like, almost nobody speaking for us. Okay. Great. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm sure I'm sure they exist, but in my life, I've never met an Australian asshole, someone who's a jerk. I just – everyone I met from Australia is always so nice. And I'm sure the country is full of assholes, but I just haven't come across them yet. So that's my experience <laughs> with, with Australia so far. They're kind of obnoxious travelers. I'm going to say that. But is that nice. true? Tammy was the one, sorry. Yeah. What did you say? Sorry, I meant to. I just wanted to say Tammy was the other caller. I just wanted to yeah. get oh, the yeah. name right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I. By the way, you're saying that you don't. Um, that you feel isolated. There are not a lot of people with, who share your view, but maybe they're just down under. Sorry, I couldn't help but make that terrible joke. Uh, it was well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> Um, I think the, uh, the, the, the think tank that Aaron was talking about was the ASPI, the Australian Strategic Policy yes. Institute, which acts as, I guess, the, uh, the direct pipeline straight from the asshole of the Pentagon to the ears of, uh, politicians over here. Um, I mean, something that I think, uh, I'm just gonna w- battle on about this a little bit, uh, that as people should know about Australia is that in terms of our foreign policy, we have none of our own. This country is essentially a, uh, a, a U.S. protectorate, like we're we're an island base. We uh, do everything the U.S. But we are essentially like our entire military is just another division in the U.S. armed forces. We do nothing for ourselves. We don't even know if there are any nuclear weapons, like because uh, we have no power to uh to to you know inspect, say, if a plane, if a U.S. plane or an aircraft carrier or a submarine has a nuclear warhead on it. We can't do anything about that. That's just, we have to live in that with that ignorance. Um, 
And I would say that broadly speaking, the culture of this country in terms of uh, most of the, you know, people in the think tanks, the political class, if you really want to call them that, most of them are just fucking morons. Um, this, they, they're uh, like, there is, they're so steeped in uh, this, in, in, you know, in, in, in the, the floodlights of the, uh, of the White House. They're so overawed by it. It's just, I mean, it's not even really a conspiracy anymore. It's just, um, they just act and think like uh, a servile kind of American stooge. But anyway, the question that I actually wanted to come up here is like, I wanted to just mention briefly to everybody who's not paying attention, may not be paying attention, is that actually Sinn Féin just won a majority of seats in Northern Ireland. And it looked like, it looks like the French left under Mélenchon might be winning, uh, he might be the next prime minister. Oh, that would be great. Which, oh, uh, I mean, is it possible? Like, do you guys think that this might be, and I'll just shut up after this. Do you guys think it's possible this might be the first rumblings of, uh, the backlash of, uh, these sanctions, uh, and the, uh, skyrocketing cost of living, uh, that, uh, normal people are forced to live with? That would be great. I think it's a little too early to tell, but that would be a great uh, outcome of this, like a silver lining. Um, if this was something that, you know, if Europe responded to this in a way that was um, instead of kind of the sur- sur- um, subordinate position that you're saying Australia has to the United States, and we're seeing in some cases Europe have to the United States. I'm not saying they should be subordinate. I'm saying they're acting that way. Um, so, yeah, it would be great if this radicalized people in Europe. Certainly one possible outcome. And we haven't even experienced the winters, right, where, Aaron, you constantly bring this up that who, who says that, like, you know, Europeans are going to should expect to be cold this year. It's the price of freedom. It's the, the price, price of freedom. freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Freezing temperatures are the price of freedom. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks for the call. Yeah. Tyler, you're up That would be great. But do you think that'll happen, Aaron? Like, do you think any of that'll happen? Uh, I don't know. Right, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I certainly think it's like, it's quite plausible. I mean, if you're forcing people to bear higher energy costs, higher costs for, for other basics, I mean, there's going to be a backlash. Yeah. So why so why wouldn't it happen? I yeah. you know it's it's certainly it's it, it's quite likely. I mean, and yeah. for what? Especially when the cause is having a NATO proxy state on Russia's border, is that something that most uh, average people care about? I don't think so. Right. So so uh, fingers crossed. And top of the morning to you, Sinn Fein, for that victory. All right. Next. Hey guys, how are y'all? Good. You. Um, well, I love the show always. I'll try to be brief today because I was on last week. But um, today's uh, political issue of the day kind of ties into the, the topic that we raised last week about electoralism. And I wanted to briefly say, like, this really isn't, you know, my issue. But we were talking last week about uh, the, the point I raised was, you know, those of us on the progressive uh you know, anti-imperialist left are sort of gettable electorally if the the quote unquote left in the political the mainstream political left can show us some like policy win, right? 
And abortion really isn't my issue. Just look at my profile picture, right? I don't want to pontificate on it. But I do, you know, this is a perfect, I do think this is a perfect example of, okay, Democrats, you're really concerned about this, right? This is a, you know, Roe being overturned is a really big issue. But, well, but it's May, the election's in November, and you do the damn thing, right? Like, like pass the law, like you have a slim majority in the Senate, we understand, but like, you're not going to do any better after November, especially if you don't do anything and like figure out how to get some protection for reproductive rights and medical privacy friggin just passed somehow. And lots of us will turn out to re- reward you electorally for that in ways that like we just you know, wouldn't be motivated to do absent some kind of actual like policy win on this front because it is now centered as the sort of mainstream political issue of the day. And like I say, I mostly focus on foreign policy and police state issues. So I'm a little out of my wheelhouse here, but I think it's just a perfect example of like, okay, guys, demonstrate your argument for electoralism to me. You can win me over with a material fact here. Do the fucking thing and I'll show up and I'll pull the lever for you, man. Like, so I'll, uh, I'll leave it there and get your reflections on that, uh, on that point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I also tweeted out an article today. Um, hold on. Let me just check what it is um, about not donating to Democrats um, hold on. It was a medium piece that I tweeted out by Lauren Elizabeth. Um, it's called Please Stop Donating Money to the Democratic Party. Um, and it's about why we should be donating to other, uh, there are like abortion uh, organizations you can donate to or workers' rights organizations you can um, donate to. Okay. I uh, I do love that perspective, and it's one I've heard echoes echoed on other kind of left commentary spaces in in recent months. Um, so I think it's I think it's definitely good that 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 kind of a uh, direction is gaining some momentum in the, yeah. uh, in the space. Um, the the other thing that that just is appalling to me about this whole debate is the lack of acknowledgement from those of us on the left that Roe was decided on medical privacy grounds. And I know that Casey kind of like under undermined that standard a little bit, but like the idea that we've been having a, a discussion that's on a totally separate issue that I don't really want to wade into heavily, but it, you know, centers you on medical Roe, privacy. Sorry. What's that? You don't want to no, no, uh, yeah, the the completely separate issue that has been the center of our political discussion for the last two years that has centered on medical privacy that I don't want to make controversial statements on right now um, has has it 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 just flies in the face of the kind of discussion of medical privacy issues that we should be having um, around around row currently um so i i think i think either party could win a significant chunk of voters by putting forth a piece of legislation that says we support medical privacy if your doctor recommends a procedure uh no matter regardless the issue that you're facing whether it's reproductive rights or virology 
then then the government shouldn't have anything to do with that. I think uh, I think any any party that puts something like that forward as a major policy issue could win a big chunk of voters that had previously been unsympathetic to their ideas. I'll sign off there, guys. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, it's a big question that we'll get into another time, I think, because it's that the whole I think that's in my body, my choice, um, abortion and uh, vaccine issue, which we should get into another time. Not not shying away from it, but it's a longer discussion. And I don't think the parallel works, but we'll uh, get into it another time. OK, next caller. Matchin. Hello. Unmute yourself, please, by hitting the um, the mic icon. Um, okay. Just hit the mic icon at the bottom right, right near the like or the heart sign, whichever it has for you, right near leave room. All right. Well, okay. There you are. Hi. I'm with my phone there. Hello. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. You? Good. Good. Uh, kind of going back a little to about media coverage on uh, Ukraine, uh, found it kind of interesting that, you know, we get a lot of images of the destruction and obviously some of the, you know, the tragedies that people are experiencing there, especially, you know, we get the pictures of, you know, children and, and women especially and things. But I, I find it curious, we don't see any images of like actual skirmishes. And, and, and things of that course, even as recently as the Afghanistan war, you know, you see people in trenches, you know, shooting at each other and things like that. And when it comes to Ukraine, mostly, you know, we see if we see any soldiers, they're just kind of standing around waiting. Fatigues look kind of clean. They don't look very dirty. You know, we we don't see actual war. And I, I know we're kind of, you know, separated from that in America. normally over the decades, but this, you know, we don't see much of it at all. And I know that takes us down the road of conspiracy and things like that. And that gets used a lot, but it, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about that as far as coverage goes. We just, you know, we just get to see the destruction after the fact. And, and if that's, you know, could that be intentional? Does that leave empty spaces for the media to fill in the gaps because our imaginations are wide open at that point to go like, oh, obviously something's happened here. Tell us why, how. Um, it just it just seems odd, and I haven't heard anyone maybe speak to that. That we we just don't see any skirmishes. Um, and I just thought, well, if you guys have any opinions on that, or am I just missing something? Yeah, no. The, well, yeah. Well, part of the problem is there's been there's no media allowed to. Um, go to the front lines where Ukrainian forces are fighting. And you're also not allowed to go to field hospitals. There's all these, it's been very restrictive. And so most Western correspondents are in uh, a Western town called Lviv where there's, there's no Russians at all, or at least there's been a few Russian strikes around there, but no heavy fighting. And so it's given Mm -hmm. us a completely distorted picture of the war where basically Western journalists, a lot of them are just relying on what they get at um, information hubs like set up by the Ukrainian government, which are staffed and I'm sure supported by Western consultants as well. So 
yeah, it, we, we, we've gotten a totally distorted picture of the war, and it's very hard to know what, what exactly is going on. There are very few Western correspondents, or, you know, correspondents from Western countries, or, or from any country from around the world, that are not sort of under the control of what the Ukrainian government wants them to see. So it's, uh, it's difficult. It's very challenging. Yep. Okay. Well, no, I, I kind of figured that and just, you know, it's just so hard to, you know, speak to whether it's friends or associates or whatever. And you, you bring that up and, you know, people want to, you know, make your tinfoil hat a little tighter around your head. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, no, it just, it just, look, it looks obvious. And yeah. And yeah. Thank you for being, thank you for being a conspirator, uh, conspirator therapist for me. <laughs> and, uh, Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Sparty. Sparty, unmute yourself by hitting the um, mic icon at the bottom right of your screen. Hit the mic icon at the bottom right of your screen. Okay. You there? I'm trying to hang up. Oh, there you are. You were there just now. Okay. We can hear you. Hello? Can you? All right. Right, we'll, we'll go on to the, we'll go on to the next caller. I'm going to bring in Farhan. Aaron. All right. Good morning, folks. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm actually the um, the former primetime news anchor for RT America, and I wanted to tell you both thank you so much for all of your support when RT America shut down, um, especially uh, you, Aaron Mate, uh, who. I loved your interview with Dan Abrams. Um, I thought you handled yourself the classiest of classy um, when talking to him, and he made him look like a complete idiot. Um, not that he you had to really try that hard, um, but I, I just love that interview and the way that you handled that. Um, I loved your coverage this morning um, on the Lockheed Martin stuff. Um, and one of the things that you guys immediately saw that I did was where he not only mentioned Ukraine, but then also mentioned um, the Asia-Pacific. But the other area that I thought was interesting that he didn't mention that we talked a lot about with RT America, and I actually saw a hint of Jimmy Dore covering it um, with uh, Hermila, was Ethiopia and in the Tigray region, where they're talking about now sending arms there because, of course, the new president is getting ready to you know, commit full on genocide against his people um, and just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on why do you think the West doesn't cover anything going on with Africa, knowing that that's a very strategic area that the United States wants control of. And, you know, perfect example. I was telling my own mother yesterday on Mother's Day, I was like, Mom, did you hear that we're going to be sending arms and all this stuff to Ethiopia. And she's like, what another war. Um, so it's just, it's, it's really sad, but, um, but again, yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys both so much for your defense of everything that went down with RT America and kind of your thoughts on that. Um, how do I pronounce your first name? 
is it Farron? Farron? Farron, Farron, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you, so, I mean, how are things going? Because you, you basically, you know, RT America was forced to shut down because of the sanctions and all the pressure that was being put on on on, on U.S. broadcasters and satellite carriers and our carry RT. So, so what's happening with you now? I mean, how have things been? Well, to, to dispel one rumor, it actually wasn't sanctions that, that shut us down. Um, okay. That was kind of management's decision because mm-hmm. if you've noticed, Radio Sputnik is still going. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we could have maybe a sidebar conversation on all that went down with that. Okay. Um, but but no, I mean, so far, many of us have landed other jobs. Many of us have gone independently like what I'm doing with my show, Fair and Balanced. Um, but yeah, it was it was a tough a tough day for a lot of people, because in a matter of 30 minutes, it was just like, hey, this is it good luck. And we were all just kind of standing there dumbfounded, um, especially the fact that despite the invasion happening, we had so many people. I mean, I I had double the viewers that I normally had when all of it went down because people realized they're not getting the truth on Western media outlets. And our numbers doubled, actually. So yeah, it, it had nothing to do really with the sanctions. Like I said, I can talk to you off uh, on a sidebar one of these days. <laughs> well, for sure. I'd love to hear more about it. And I just thought it was so, I mean, just the, the complete disinterest by the rest of the media in and a whole outlet being forced to shut down because of censorship effect and pro-war censorship. It was just stunning. And, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people lost their jobs and it was a, it's sad, you know, it's sad when that happens. And I just, um, I found that like the combination of indifference and even outright cheerleading for that was just pretty, it was, it was tough to watch. Well, and the part that was really hilarious to me too, was you had it when we shut down, nobody was offering us jobs or, Hey, come on over to Sinclair networks or next star media. But when CNN plus shut down, Oh, everyone was, Oh, we're here for you. We'll hire you. Uh, all, all those, I don't think it was like 200, 300 something employees. They all got the welcome mat to yeah. all these other places. And for us, it was just like, well, good luck. So, <laughs> you know, again. There, there are, there are neocon figures in Washington who have openly bragged about how their mission in life is to make it sure, make sure it's so that, that nobody who's worked for RT can work for any other media outlet ever again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, b- I believe it too. And and mind you, I came from local news. And there was a reason that I left local news. And for all of your viewers, the story that really did it for me, I was a news anchor in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There was a huge GM recall where it was, if you kind of guys remember, it was where the pedals, the, the, um, the accelerator pedal kept sticking. And there were people that were actually not able to brake And there was a woman who got in a horrible accident, lost her leg from like pretty much the thigh down, had to completely redo her life. And I went to my news director and was like, hey, I've got this amazing story about the GM recall with this woman who's been affected and how they're not helping her. They just gave her this like little kind of, you know, um, uh, like $25,000 just to kind of shut her up. And she looked at me and she's like, I love the story, but we're never going to get that past sales. And that's when I realized I'm done. I can't do it anymore, you know? And I think many of us in independent media have had those exact situations happen to us. And it's that moment of, 
am I going to go along with the lie or am I going to have to break away? Which is what I did. And that's when I found RT America. Well, listen, Farron, I forgot your question, but I, I, (laughs) Ethiopia, Ethiopia. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, um, but look, I, I really, uh, appreciate you calling in and, and, uh, and, uh, let's be in touch. I, I'd love to hear more about what happened at RT and uh, what is happening next because it's just kind of everyone just moved on. But a whole network was shut down. And the, the difference between RT America and CNN Plus is that, well, first of all, people were actually watching RT America. Mm-hmm. It, had, it had an audience. And second of all, I mean, whatever. There are a lot, there's a lot of stuff on RT America I really didn't like. But the fact is, on key issues when it comes to U.S. hegemony, it was providing a counter narrative. That's just a fact. And for mm-hmm. that, that's why it was targeted. And the fact that everyone, that everyone just tolerated that being canceled and censored is, is just crazy. Just as it is now with, you know, we, we covered this on the, on, on Flutters last week where PayPal just shutting down the accounts of independent news outlets that don't tow the party line on Ukraine and how that's all just become totally normalized. It's a very, yeah. uh, Mm-hmm. Caleb, Caleb Mop and a friend of mine, yeah, as you guys probably saw, you know, formerly with RT. Um, so I, I do know in, in the workings they're trying to bring it back, but do I think it's going to happen anytime soon? No, but yeah, I completely, I completely fangirled when Katie followed me on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, we can we can have that sidebar conversation. It's just fair Sounds and balanced. Mm-hmm. Fair and balanced. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. Right, well, Keep up the good fight. <laughs> thanks, fair and balanced. All right. <laughs> Rob, I'm gonna Jonathan because Jonathan we didn't get to him last week, and he I'm gonna invite him to speak because uh, make him next caller because he was we didn't get to him last week. Okay, Jonathan, Katie, your your commitment to fairness is uh, by, is admirable. I'm, I'm inspired by fair and balance. You're fair and balanced. Yeah. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, yes. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to you know I know I knew uh, the your guest had a kind of a hard out and I, I wanted to be respectful of their time there. But uh Shad kind of accidentally answered my question anyway. Oh, okay. so, so yeah, that was um but yeah. Uh, I yeah, I, I know if uh you know we we had some Australians in the audience and I don't know if they're still there because it's like two AM over there. But uh you How know I uh I had recently found out there's some uh interesting third parties running on the ballot over there. And they have an election coming up. Um, and uh, I don't know exactly, uh, you know, there's a, a party called the New Liberals, which is not, you know, a terribly appealing name for a party, I guess. But, uh, you know, I know there's some people with good politics running, uh, you know, in New South Wales, which is not, you know, I, I guess Tammy's from Melbourne. But, uh, you know, in Sydney, uh, there's uh, an economist that I'm, I'm uh, familiar with, uh, Steve Keane who has very good politics, who's on the ballot there. And if they can get a minimum number of votes, like their electoral system is way better than ours. Um, and they're, they're basically, there's some third parties that are trying to unseat a lot of the incumbents there. And that's kind of the goal. And the first step would be, you know, putting them number one or number two on your ballot. And I kind of wanted to get that out there. Well, yeah, it makes sense because it looks like we got a lot of uh, Australian listeners. So, Can't yeah, which is remarkable. Like it's two a.m. over there. So, hats off to those guys. Yeah. So yeah, they're we'll look into more. We'll look into that more and encourage people to check that out. And, All right. Yeah. 
That's it. That's all I had. Sorry. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Okay. I didn't hear the whole thing, but what I, what I'm picking up is that we've been nominated to run as the for the presidents, the co-presidents yeah. of Australia, because yeah. our fan base there is so massive. Yeah, we're going to start absolutely. Yeah, we're going to start a third party called the Youth Idiots Party. Wow. Okay. Well. I'm looking forward to that new life. I've always wanted to try something new. This sounds really exciting. This is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Thanks, Jonathan. Oh, Bill. Okay. Hi, Bill. How's it going? Hey, pretty good. Um, quick question. Uh, Putin's, the reports of Putin having, uh, needing cancer surgery. I wonder if you have, if you can confirm that, Aaron, or if you believe that report. Also, um, that he is transferring control temporarily for two or three days to, um, I don't know, some secret service, foreign intelligence service lieutenant general known by a pseudonym. <laughs> that's bizarre. Um, that's my first question. Second question, uh, have you seen reports of con uh, forced conscription in the Donbass where they are getting three days training and old rifles from the 19th century and being sent out to the front? Um, last, lastly, why are we, why are they not meeting face to face? Why are we not having negotiations and who's to blame? On the, on the question of, uh, Putin having cancer, he just gave a huge speech today for victory day. And so I don't see any sign of him stepping down and transferring power. Look, these things happen a lot in, in wars where claims are made about the other side to make them look weak. And I, I would bet that that falls under that category. I don't, I don't think it's true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's, that, that's the problem. It's very easy to make up a claim and very difficult to disprove it. But if I were to bet, I'd say that the claims about Putin having cancer and handing over power to someone else, I, I would say that's just information warfare propaganda basically but who knows and in terms of why aren't there negotiations well because i mean the u.s officials have made it very clear they don't want a diplomatic solution they want to use ukraine to weaken russia that's what lloyd austin said seth moulton influential democratic congress member is openly talking about this being a proxy war everyone knows that now and that's been the use of ukraine for the last eight years is using Ukraine to bleed Russia, to build up NATO on Russia's borders and let Ukrainians shoulder the consequences of that. And so that's why there's no negotiations. There was a report last week in the Ukrainian media, you know, pro-government Ukrainian media, that said that Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, went to Zelensky and said, don't talk to Putin because we think that we can use this to defeat him. And Zelensky, who was apparently preparing for talks, basically followed orders because that's where he's at this idea that he's like valiantly leading ukraine against russia i think that's fiction i think he's completely beholden to on the one side the u.s and its uk junior partner and then the fascist movement inside ukraine that has openly threatened Zelensky before whenever he moved towards making peace with russia and the rebels in the donbass so that's what i think is preventing any kind of negotiations right now well, I mean, if Putin, if if, if uh, the Russian Federation wanted negotiations, they certainly could put out a press release saying they want to meet face-to-face, -face and they could say, and that would make it clear that it's Ukraine's fault and not theirs. 
So, I mean, I think it seems to be both. It seems to be both sides. Obviously, Putin wants to try to establish more territorial control before, so that he has a better, better leverage. I think it's. I. I mean, in this case, I think they're both to blame. Frankly, okay. Well, oh, that's fair. I mean, sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, you're right. Putin could call for meeting Zelensky face to face. I mean, he's made a point of not doing that because I think what he's been trying to impart is that he doesn't think Zelensky has any power. That's why even before the war, he was nego- he was insisted on negotiating with the U.S. because his point was that it's the U.S. that ultimately makes the decision. Now, I think that's actually true. But still, I think you're right that he could still call to meet with Zelensky because Zelensky is the leader of Ukraine. So so why not? Yeah. Um, but, other- but, oh, yeah. but there have been talks, but there have been talks between the two sides. Um, Lavrov, the foreign minister, met with yeah, his Ukrainian counterpart at one point. And yeah. by the way, but you know, part, there was this incident where a top Ukrainian negotiator was killed by the Ukrainian intelligence services because they accused him of being a traitor. And meanwhile, another Ukrainian state intelligence service called him a hero. So there's obviously even some some strong splits inside the Ukrainian establishment. And I think I think that is a part of the problem as well. Okay, could be. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Bye. Thanks. Also, imagine if that had happened in Russia. If someone had been killed by the Russian, like a, a Russian negotiator had been killed. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine all the headlines on that. Oh, of course. This just this happened early on in the war, and we all just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. But it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Next caller. Armchair. Hey, guys. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Thank you for taking my call. Um, My question is actually a little bit like it's not really related to Ukraine. I mean, to an extent, it's related to the situation, but um, it's piggybacking off of uh, Farron's point that she raised about RT. Um, I've been thinking about, you know, censorship and what is allowed and should be allowed, uh, to be censored, uh, in general. And, uh, I'm sort of unsure what to believe when it comes to, um, uh, thing, you know, uh, platforms like RT that are state funded when it comes to their treatment. So just to give you a little bit more context in the, I mean, I'm sure, you know, in the U S there's a law called FARA, which essentially um, mandates that all uh, foreign lobbyists are required to uh, basically be labeled and registered with the um, uh, Department of Justice so that people who, you know, politicians who um, um, work with them, they are aware that they are lobbying on behalf of the foreign government. Um, isn't and I say this with all due respect to people who listen to RT and, you know, or used to listen to it. Isn't Rush Today to an extent a uh, tool of soft power that is used by Russia? And isn't there a an argument to be made that, of course, you know, you shouldn't, you know, label or ban any domestic um, uh, media like the Gray Zone? I think that's ridiculous. But when it comes to foreign media, including Russia Today and, you know, 
platforms that are you know much more mainstream or you know much more accepted in the mainstream like the, the BBC that are state funded that we don't owe them the same kind of treatment that we owe to our domestic uh, media. So that would be my question. And thank you. Well, I think you named one of the major issues, which is that we don't, it's not enforced that way. Like there aren't warnings on CBC, BBC. Um, so that's there, I think one of, already on the, um, one of the immediate problems is that it's not endor- enforced in a way that's, it's ideologically enforced and opportunistically and selected. That's what I would say. So would, you say would so would you say like if it was enforced, uh, you know, fairly and transparently, you would be okay with like Russia Today or any really any uh, kind of media that is getting state funding from or you know is editorially controlled by another state to be labeled as well, foreign state media? Only if we labeled like the corporate sponsors and advertisers behind our media. But that's 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 what I'm asking though, because here I think you have two different like you don't, like there are two different issues here. Because with domestic um, actors, I think you have serious you know First Amendment issues. You have serious you know issues with the freedom of the press. You just can't like there's no like the Supreme Court wouldn't allow you to do this, I believe, or any other court. But with foreign actors, I think there's a different dynamic because you can make an argument that you know. Yeah, obviously CNN has way more, you know, negative impact on, um, you know, on America than RT ever did. But the difference is that while like the CNN is benefiting people who are inside the U.S., even if it's not, you know, your average or working class people, whether, you know, and, and at the same time, RT is benefiting people who are outside of you know, of, of our, of our country. And so you can make an argument. I'm not saying it's right, but I, I can see how you, an, an argument can be made that on RT should be difficult. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. But I think you just made the, the case against that because the world doesn't work. I mean, any, you just pointed out that it's not in the best interest of, of working people or most people. So if we, if we concede, which I think we have to, that the media in the United States does not is not acting in the best interest of the 99%, then if anything, they're more pernicious than uh, governments. Uh, That's right. The, the, the difference is that, the difference is that, I'm just going to say one thing, the difference is that uh, in the CNN's case or in, you know, corporate, like American corporate media is that they are owned and controlled by people who are part of the United States. So our constitution applies to them while RT, BBC, you know, Al Jazeera, they are controlled and funded by media, uh, by uh, entities that are outside of the U.S. So our constitution and our you know, don't have to apply to them in well, the same way. That's that's what I'm asking you. I mean, if I don't know if you have anything to add about this. I mean, if you're asking what the constitution allows or doesn't allow. Uh, I don't really think that either one is like, I don't think that they, uh, I I don't know. I'd have to look at review the constitution, but I certainly think this is a political tool. I don't think any like constitutional, uh, uh, you know, scholars would particularly ground far in that. Aaron, you have anything to add? 
Aaron's just emotional. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so, sure. Uh, like, I don't care, you know, um, if it were applied equally, so if you were to label all state media, whatever state this, sure. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's factual, so it's fine. Um, but it's, yeah, as, as Katie said, it's just kind of funny that like CNN, which is owned and funded by corporations that are really actually even more powerful that, than some states than some, than some governments that somehow they're not labeled. That's, that strikes me as odd, but sure. Yeah. I mean, if you feel strongly about labeling state media, then the, the, the label all state media. So that means labeling, for example, Bellingcat, which is a, a group that is often cited by in the U S media as being some sort of like impartial, independent, uh, investigative outlet is funded by the U S government. It's also funded by the British government too. So they should be labeled as well. And if it were applied equally, then yeah, sure. Yeah. I would still, I'd be up for it. I still think they're more dang- that we should be labeling the advertisers, but yeah, there'd be a consistency. But if we're actually talking about what's better for the world, I would say label domestic also, but yeah. that was a, uh, thanks for that question. I think we're going to sure, wrap. Thank okay. you. Yes, we take one more call. Sure. Okay. Liana. And yeah, there we go. Wow. How to follow that. Um, I, uh, I I disagree with armchair. I think uh, corporations are way more dangerous and they are not subject to the constitution like he was like he was uh, trying to imply. But um, this is a what if question because going back to the abortion issue with candidates that are coming up, um, I'm a longtime listener of Useful Idiots, and I'm a green voter living in Arizona. And Arizona sent Kristen Cinema to D.C. from a midterm election. So midterms are super important. Abortion is an issue that the Democrats can't seem to get behind, even though it's on their platform. And how do we continue the conversation with our closeted progressives and help them understand that they have to vote for candidates that will advance their values and stop voting blue no matter who over yeah i think that's something we agree with agree on or leveraging the vote at least yeah Aaron, anything to add? I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, it's crazy. Uh, look, uh, th- this could be one of those moments that really ignites people to rise up. You know, certainly it's happening already. There's been protests across the country and people are fed up with Democrats doing nothing and then fundraising off of the de- of, off of the fact that Republicans are, are worse. I mean, it's, just, it, it's not enough for people anymore. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. 
Thank you for what you're doing, Aaron. I started following you from the Syria attacks, and so keep up the truth fight, both of you. Katie, you're awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Well, on that note of praise, what a great way to end. On that, yeah. 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 Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It's great to see so many people here. Yeah, Follow us at usefulidiots.substack.com. And also subscribe to us here on Colin and at YouTube. And we'll see you next time. See you next week. Thanks, all. Bye. Bye.